You're listening to CISD on SOAS Radio. Thank you so much for coming today. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have Ayesha Siddiqua today for the seminar, the CISD seminar, South Asian seminar. Uh, so Ayesha, as you probably know, she's a political commentator. Um, she's also a research associate <laughs> here at SOAS in the South Asian Institute and an author of a number of very acclaimed books, among which is Military Inc. And today you're going uh, to talk about a Pakistan new search of yeah. identity in a you know, change strategic yeah. environment. So I'll leave this, uh, the stage to Ayesha. So thank you very much and thank you for being here today. Thank you, Simona. But before we begin, could I request you uh, to observe a minute silence in memory of Asna Jangir, uh, yeah. the great human rights activist? See, while I was preparing for my talk, and I was asked to talk about the geostrategic, the, the changing geostrategic environment, and how does it impact Pakistan's vision of itself, uh, of the region, uh, global stakeholders, and domestically. The one thing which came to my mind was the need to define Pakistan's behavior. And I thought that the most appropriate title here was uh, Pakistan the Cinderella State. Uh, and I will explain to you uh, why this title uh, during the course of my uh, presentation. See, I would begin with Christoph Jeffelow's uh, recent book and his concept of Pakistan as an interface state. And that is a term that is used to describe how Pakistan navigates the external and internal dynamics. Now, in this sense, the term doesn't define defined Pakistan, but it's a particular framework. Because in that respect, all states are interface states. There is this interaction between the external and internal. And Definitely, it's important for Pakistan, which is uh, undergoing a lot of readjustment. For, for instance, and I think the most important readjustment is that Pakistan, that the US is no longer uh, the primary world power and also the primary caretaker of Pakistan. There are other important significant players like China and Russia that, are, that have emerged and, and uh, Pakistan is considering a partnership there. Pakistan's imagination is, of itself in the international system is determined by its calculation of how competition amongst various global players will pan out. And in the process, carves out a niche for itself. In my talk, I will focus on Pakistan's aspirations, its geopolitical imagination, and how is the strategic perception influencing its bilateral, regional, extra-regional, and domestic linkages. Ladies and gentlemen, there are many frames through which Pakistan has been described. It has been termed as a failed state, a fragile state, a state under tension, a garrison state, a client state, a frontline state, and a warrior state. These terms have described the state's behavioral patterns, its dependency, internal relationships, and much more. Note that these various frameworks do not have a logic of their own, but I would prefer to use the term Cinderella for Pakistan, describing its historical challenges, its threat perception, and its aspirations that at this juncture seems to have connected well with the changing world order. In explaining Pakistan's strategic predicament and desires, the Cinderella story 
I mean, if you remember it, fits well as a metaphor to describe the dominant perception in the country's strategic circles of Pakistan being a state that has been denied its true status in the hierarchy of nations, especially in the South Asian region, and that given an opportunity, it could establish itself as a competitive regional power. There's a deep sense of victimization and being besieged, a sense that the state feels has to be challenged and changed. The Cinderella metaphor would make greater sense in the backdrop of three non-negotiable variables. It means these are three factors which have to be kept in mind while discussing what Pakistan hopes to gain. First, Pakistan's sense of vulnerability, both external and internal, emanating primarily from B, what is perceived as Hindu India, compounded with lack of closure in 1947 due to the outstanding Kashmir dispute, but primarily India as a threat to my the third variable, a Muslim Pakistan that, has established, that was established to secure the future of Muslims of the subcontinent. The sense of constant vulnerability and identity are intertwined and critical in the country's direction and search for stable relationships. Given its ideological and political moorings, the East European wing did not attract the leadership in the earlier years. The emphasis starting from the founding father, Muhammad Ali Jinnah, was to find a linkage with the West, primarily with the US, with whom it was believed a stable and profitable relationship could be sought, since there were good chances of convergence on fighting communism in Central Asia and securing the Middle East against the anti-West Arab nationalism. The earlier leadership in, of, uh, after 1947 in Pakistan uh, made a lot of efforts in, in connecting with the United States, especially uh, when it comes to the Middle East. A role, uh, getting, acquiring a role for Pakistan to protect both Western and Middle Eastern interests. However, Pakistan's primary gripe with this alignment the old alignment with the United States is its temporary nature in which the US did not and has never appreciated the fact that while Pakistan was ready to help in growth of American influence in the Middle East and help fight communism, Washington never shared Pakistan's concern with the perceived threat from India. Resultantly, the alignment would break down every time an immediate crisis relating to communist onslaught was over. For every military government that entered into a relationship with the United States, the primary task, hence, was to extract as much resources as possible and to stretch the relationship as far as possible. Things worked as long as Pakistan remained a frontline state and willing to be what the Canadian scholar T.V. Paul terms as a warrior state, ready to fight the wars of major competing global powers, which in that case was the United States and the Soviet Union. Although the U.S. remained the key option for Pakistan to build its military and economic capacity, it also resulted in turning Pakistan into a fragile client state. Its institution, particularly economic institutions, remained, under, remained underdeveloped due to over-reliance on American patronage that, in any case, was far less than what was needed to develop the state economically. 
Furthermore, the system extracted high political cost as it imposed limitation on Pakistan making its own choice regarding the use of, for example, American equipment in its war with India. Pakistan was struck with embargoes every time it, uh, it was in the middle of a crisis with India. Indeed, Pakistan has emerged even bitterer vis-a-vis -vis its primary alignment, the US, due to what is believed to be lack of appreciation of Islamabad's role in fighting the war on terror. It is important to note that Pakistan's community does not visualize the inherent power imbalance between a stronger patron versus a dependent and weak client as having any consequence on the quality of decisions and the relationship. Not only is there ins insistence on equality of initiative, there is consciousness of the power of a smaller client being able to draw more out of the alignment. So what if Osama bin Laden was caught from Pakistan or that numerous Taliban leaders keep turning out of the country? The fact that Pakistan has sacrificed a huge number of lives during the war and terror should get greater weight. That's the argument. Or that there needs to be an appreciation of Pakistan's need to keep its options open to the world, uh, or open as would the US or any other state. There is a deep sense of victimization in reaction to the US not giving a significant role to Pakistan in deciding the future course of action for Afghanistan. Pakistan's political scientist Parvez Iqbal Chima, uh, who termed the th previous three instances of divergence of interest between the United States and Pakistan in the three letdowns, would probably add a fourth one in the form of the misunderstanding between Washington and Islamabad regarding the future of Afghanistan, which the latter believes should be decided, keeping in mind Pakistan's strategic interests. Pakistan had fought the war uh, in Afghanistan during the 1980s, and once everybody else withdrew, uh, it was practically in control of Afghanistan, and therefore it feels that it has logically uh, more interest uh, in Afghanistan. But this is even more historic. The fear of a two-front war whereby Afghanistan with Indian influence is viewed as weakening Pakistan's security is not an acceptable option for uh, Pakistan's military. Its strategic community contests New Delhi's increased development role in Afghanistan and general presence in, the, in, its, uh, uh, in, in, in Afghanistan as a potential threat to, uh, to Pakistan. Moreover, it is viewed as a challenge not just for Pakistan's security, but also its desire to expand interest in Central Asia. It was this partnership that Islamabad hoped to counter through building links with Taliban, which are considered as representing will of the majority Pashtun population in Afghanistan. The understanding was that Pakistan, more than India, was the de jure representative of true Afghan-Pakistan interests. Given the increased tension between Pakistan and Afghanistan at the level of both the state and society, such perception seems to have proven wrong. I would also like to add here that while the recent Donald Trump tweet threatening Pakistan denotes the epitome of bilateral tension, the drift had set in much earlier. Islamabad looked suspiciously at development of a new, new geopolitical narrative in the US that emphasized India's significance 
the culmination of which was the civil nuclear deal between the two countries, India and the United States. There was a total lack of capacity to develop a similar narrative in the US regarding Pakistan. And this is for certain explainable reasons, that why Pakistan could not manage to create a, uh, a fairer opinion about itself uh, as India did. Now it is in this backdrop that China's emergence as a counterweight tantamount to what, the, to what the prince was in the Cinderella story. And the overall initiative, hence, is that slipper, Cinderella slipper, which has led China to Pakistan. The Sino-Pakistan relations are historic. I mean, it's not a new relationship, it's historic. And date back to the mid-1960s, when Beijing came to Pakistan's help during the 1965 Pakistan-India war. China's role was critical in developing Pakistan's nuclear program. It was also a source for diversification of weapons procurement that filled the gap mostly during American arms embargo. However, Beijing was essentially seen as an underpowered regional alternative that was not considered sufficient in fully countering India. It could not talk, China could not talk to India, it could not force India to withdraw. Part of the problem was also the fact that China was a cautious power that until the early 2000s was reluctant to enhance its global presence. Things began to change uh, during the early uh, 2000s when China cautiously started to invest in the Gawadar port uh, and that's an investment decision that came around 2002. The Musharraf regime encouraged Beijing to develop the deep seaport. Such an investment would ensure China's commitment to Pakistan's security. What Islamabad couldn't provide in terms of conventional arms balance versus New Delhi, it hoped to achieve through building a strategic alignment. Nonetheless, a former commitment a firmer commitment did not come about until strengthening of Xi Jinping's position in China, who shifted away from the earlier cautious approach of Hu Jintao in enhancing China's strategic outreach. According to Pakistan's Pakistani political scholar, Said Shafkat, the Pakistan-China economic corridor and the larger OVO project offered a new formula to its partners of a combination of security and development that seemingly had lesser political cost and higher economic dividends. Interestingly, a comparable idea of a Silk Road was originally conceived by the US in the form of the 2006 Silk Road Strategy Act that would link Afghanistan and its five Central Asian neighbors. While the Obama administration brought changes to the plan in 2008, Beijing expanded its version beyond Central Asia to include South Asia and the Middle East. Economically, CPEC, which is part of OBO, the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which is part of the uh, Belt Road Initiative, offers extensive economic and infrastructure expansion opportunities to Pakistan. There is investment in three major sectors in the country. So, Basically, it promises 150 billion US dollars until 2030. Uh, it's one of the CPEC is one of the six key roads of the Belt Road Initiative. 
this strategic partnership there and it provides equality and a sense of grandeur which Pakistan probably uh, wanted. But at an ideological level for Pakistan, the current relationship with China is qualitatively different from the historic linkage in that it is essential uh, that it expect Beijing to act more robustly in establishing its power vis-a-vis -vis India. Uh, and that was demonstrated not just between Pakistan and, and China, but between China and India. Uh, and I'm referring here to the Doklam uh, crisis between India and China. There is greater confidence in accepting this technology as Pakistan military's mainstay, which was not the case in the past. Uh, there are issues with Pakistan's, uh, uh, you know, with, with weapons procurement from China, uh, with Chinese technology, yet uh, there is far greater acceptance uh, today in Pakistan than what we saw even 10 years ago. In many ways, Chinese strategic confidence has proved transformative for Pakistan, which now imagines itself to play a more daring role in regional politics than it could ever think of in the past. So the desire is to turn Pakistan into a regional giant. I mean, these are the kind of assessments that are being made. The security community in Islamabad is now abuzz with stories of a new power equation between China, Russia, and Pakistan that would both match <coughs> and push back a US-India-Afghanistan alignment. The Sino-Indian confrontation at Doklam has been interpreted as an indicator of Chinese robustness that provides emotional respite to Pakistan as well, especially a country which is still where the military is still seething with the, with, the, with the memory of the defeat of 1971. Unlike the US, Beijing has been more patient with Pakistan's military strategic approach, such as protecting select group of violent extremist non-state actors that are viewed as critical partners of the Pakistani state. China has continued to veto any move at the UN Security Council to declare Masood Azhar of Jaisi Muhammad as a terrorist. This is despite the understanding that China is nervous of and would take any measure to curb religious extremism and terrorism to secure its own soft underbelly. But it would be incorrect to assume the relationship is seamless. There are issues at many levels. If you talk to diplomats in Islamabad, they would say that there is consciousness at the higher levels of military and the political regime of not allowing China the kind of leverage it has in Africa or in South Asia, in Sri Lanka. The business community is nervous that Chinese expansion into the commercial sector in a manner that would leave little room for Pakistan's private sector. Entrepreneurs in Karachi can be heard talking about Chinese mafia, filling the political and administrative gap in the largest cosmopolitan, the way they do in Macau. There is nervousness about major infrastructure in Karachi, including the stock exchange, municipality, and electricity supply cooperation coming under Chinese influence. There are issues of sovereignty as far as economic processing zones are concerned, or in case of projects like the Daimler Basha Dam. The government recently declined Chinese investment in the said dam on issues of ownership. 
again, the request to allow yuan to be used officially as a currency in Gilgit Baltistan, uh, Gilgit Baltistan, Balochistan was turned down. Interestingly, the currency continues to be traded unofficially as a sanction is unimaginable. Also, given the increased number of Chinese in areas with CPEC projects, banning the yuan doesn't seem possible. This reminds me of the concern that people have regarding equal access given to Chinese versus Pakistanis. Right now, there are an estimated number of 75,000 Chinese in Pakistan. While the CPEC plan allows Chinese to conduct business in Pakistan, a similar openness is not extended to the latest citizens. In fact, there's not even a visit visa for Pakistan to go to China. Importantly, there is little organic social opening up between the Chinese in Pakistan and Pakistanis in China. It's like two creatures sharing the same, same planet without ever touching each other. Not to mention the fear of Pakistan falling into a debt trap from which it would find impossible to emerge. The high rate of commercial loans sought from China are worrisome in the context of China's high debt to GDP ratio. The bureaucracy can also be heard whispering concerns over lack of real transparency of Chinese projects. What seems to outweigh these concerns is precisely what I argue is the Cinderella syndrome in which the perceived benefits are imagined to be higher because of comparison with past options, thus making policymakers ignore the actual cost. This is probably because some countries have a higher tolerance for human and other costs as long as strategic goals are achievable. During the US-Soviet nuclear rivalry, for example, American calculations were revised on the basis that Moscow's tolerance for losses were higher. Referring to the Pakistan-China relationship, Pakistani decision makers have not even found a formal method to express concerns which are indirectly communicated through media especially certain elite media networks. For instance, why will we can come across opinion pieces criticizing CPEC in the English daily newspaper Dawn, a similar discussion by most other media outlets is not allowed. This conversation is cautious and loaded. Any criticism of CPEC is termed as anti-national. Interestingly, CPEC also denotes convergence of civil and military elite. This is, in fact, the first time in history, in recent history, that the share of the economic pie from a, from a patron is significantly high for domestic stakeholders who share across the political spectrum. The political class is to CPEC resources in numerous regions, primarily Punjab and Sindh, to extend their domestic patronage. The military, on the other hand, has used linkages with China to extend its own which is very obvious from the pattern of exploitation of natural resources in provinces like Balochistan, particularly in, cop in copper mining. In any case, the two countries seem to have recently negotiated strategic management in Balochistan, which is critical to Gavada port, but also more vulnerable to adverse foreign intervention. Contrary to the perception about six months ago that Pakistan's intelligence agencies are averse to any direct intervention uh, from China, uh, any linkage between Chinese and, uh, and below separatists, there now appears to be a change of hearts, which may likely have happened due to the strong position 
that Beijing seems to have taken vis-a-vis Baloch separatist leadership in Switzerland. However, a greater issue is the impact that the Chinese partnership has in Pakistan's strategic calculus vis-a-vis other states like the US, India, Afghanistan, and even Iran. Although to a lesser extent in case of Iran, there is an increased lack of flexibility towards other states. Geostrategically, the perceived power from the Sino-Pak partnership can be fathomed from this quote of a senior bureaucrat. When asked about the cost of Pakistan going wrong in managing the CPEC project, the response was, it won't fail because the Chinese can't afford to let CPEC fail. It may be one of the many routes of oboe, yet it is the most critical, so the interest in saving is equally Chinese. In the broader context, this refers to and could be interpret, interpreted as a realization that Pakistan is critical for Chinese global goals. Hence the understanding that there is now a stronger protective shield around Pakistan than what Islamabad would ever get through its previous alignments with the US. Then the sense is that Pakistan has not run out of options as old rival India would like to imagine. The US, in any case, may have temporary interests in Pakistan related with Afghanistan. But this, is, this in itself is sufficient to push back an unrealistic pressure from Washington. Ultimately, the security of supply lines for NATO and US forces in Afghanistan through Pakistan has helped cool off Trump's heated reaction towards its former ally. In the wake of Trump's angry tweet, Pakistan's Foreign Minister Khaja Asif was quick to announce the strategic relationship was over. It's as if Pakistan doesn't bother about the United States anymore. The U.S. Islamabad, the U.S. Islamabad insists, would have to back off from back off from providing unconditional support to the Afghan government. It's also important to note that Britain's opening up towards Pakistan, particularly its security establishment, in the recent years, adds to the confidence and sense of invulnerability. Pakistan's policymakers have taken Modi's threat to isolate Pakistan far too seriously and are ego that it's India that has failed to achieve its goal. At this juncture, the possibility of improved relations with India and Pakistan on one hand and Pakistan Afghanistan on the other are quite dismal. Domestically, there is little tolerance for any peace initiative and resolution of Kashmir is back on the table at the same point where it was during the Kargil operation. As for Afghanistan, there has been a massive reaction demonstrated through the policy of evicting Afghan refugees from Pakistan and hardening border controls. The change of hearts is a military strategic policy that seems to have little concern for the benefits of Afghan interaction uh, uh, benefits of Afghan uh, involvement in the local economy uh, in, in, in KP province. The clear signal is that Kabul cannot be a US-India partner and expect conciliation with Islamabad. The general policy has also led to the tactical policy failures in the form of Afghan transit trade. An offer to allow this trade did not happen until the seaport of Chabahar, Iran became operational that has increased option for both Kabul and New Delhi to trade with each other. But India here majorly was a blind spot, worked as a blind spot for Pakistan. 
Indeed, Chabahar has clouded Pakistan-Iran relations. Although the Army Chief General Kamar Bajwa visited Iran in November 2017 and announced the need for improving ties, the tension persists. Initially, due to the unabated threat to Iran from Sunni militant group from the Balochistan border, the distance is likely to increase with Islamabad's greater commitment to the Saudi-sponsored Sunni Islamic State military coalition. Headed by Pakistan's former army chief, the coalition is perceived as expanding Islamabad's influence in the Islamic world. It is, in fact, an arrangement in which the military seems to have taken a route independent of the parliament, which earlier voted against Pakistan taking an active role in the coalition, especially playing any part in the Saudi war in Yemen. Some of the members from the upper house of the parliament have recently questioned General, Bajwa, General Bajwa's agreement to send additional troops to Saudi Arabia. This is despite that announcement that these troops will operate inside the kingdom and not fight in Yemen. There is a lack of clarity in this regard as it's not explained why additional input was needed uh, despite there already being 7,000, approximately 7,000 military personnel in Saudi Arabia, who are also assisting, assisting in training Saudi forces for the Yemen war operation. Some believe that Bajwa's decision may be driven by the hope for Saudi intervention on Pakistan's behalf with the United States. There are also reports of retired military personnel being recruited and sent for the Yemen war, though in smaller numbers. But more importantly, the increased role is driven by the need to expand Pakistan's strategic influence and also checkmate India that has increased its initiative in the Middle East, making the region one of the new competitive grounds between India and Pakistan. It is worth noting that while Pakistan's initiative in the region are mainly military, India aims to enhance its influence through economic and technological cooperation. The recent Modi visit to the UAE and opening up of one of the largest Hindu temples in Abu Dhabi underscores the increased influence and socio-economic cooperation between the Gulf states and India. Ladies and gentlemen, last but not the least, the military strategic vision is being matched with a domestic makeover. In the words of one of Pakistan's prominent pro-military establishment politicians, Mushahid Hussain, one of the aspects of the Bajwa, famous Bajwa doctrine that was recently uh, endorsed by Rusi, the army chief's policy framework is to ensure one of the aspects uh, of uh, the Army Chief's policy framework is to ensure continuity of the electoral process, which means that Pakistan military would not uh, formally intervene in controlling the state. Although this approach may be a benefit in the long to longer term, an immediate strengthening of democracy is not likely due to the parallel process of generating political instability through other means. The use of non-parliamentary institutions such as the judiciary and media to keep governments on the door is one critical issue. On the other hand, the civil-military competition has shifted away from an open confrontation with the political class 
to the civil society which is exposed to greater silencing or dissent. The increased number of missing persons from all over the country, the maltreatment of citizens by the military, which was protested during the recent march by the Pashtun people, and the targeting of independent opinions through slogans of anti-nationalism and even blasphemy are likely to weaken the society. In some respect, Pakistan's military leadership and civilian leadership, to a certain degree, seem willing to adopt the model of economic development with greater centralized narrative and authoritarian control of society, which is preferred in rest of South Asia and the Middle East. There is an emergence of tribal nationalism that will eventually generate greater domestic, regional, and global tension. The question is, that can a nuclear-armed South Asia afford this kind of societal structure? I leave you with this question. Thank you.